Chapter 12 of Hawaiian Sea Hunt Mystery by Andy Adams. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Peter Tomlinson. Chapter 12 Bomb Away. For several moments, Biff and Lee remained absolutely quiet and motionless. They knew someone was on the boat, but what was he doing? Could he be one of the men bringing supplies to the boat? Lee whispered at last. Biff shook his head. No, I don't think so. You'd see activity on the deck too, and a truck somewhere nearby. No, we've got to investigate what that character is doing. I've got an idea, Biff. Let's have it, Lee. Well, look, you know how well I can swim underwater. Suppose I slip into the water on this side of the wharf, then I'll swim under it, and I can come up right beside the boat. I'll move along from porthole to porthole and see if I can find out what's going on in the boat. Sounds okay to me. Good thing we changed into shorts. Be careful not to make any noise. Me? Biff? I'll be as quiet as a fish. He was too. There wasn't even the faintest kaplop as Lee lowered himself over the edge of the dock and sank into the water. Biff waited tensely. From behind his stack of pineapple crates, he could get a good view of the starboard side of the yawl. He could see right to the waterline and the four portholes just above it. Moments became minutes, and it seemed to Biff that the minutes were stretching out much too long. Had Lee met some obstruction beneath the dock? Biff's worry was increasing. Finally, he noticed a circle of lightly rippling water near the bow of the boat. In the centre of the circle, he could just spot Lee's head. He watched as his friend slowly raised himself by the boat's starboard gunwale until his head was even with the porthole. Noiselessly, Lee dropped back into the water and took two strokes towards the stern. Now he peered into the second porthole. He repeated the process at the third porthole and moved on to the fourth. The fourth must be the one, Biff figured. That was the small compartment where the yawl's auxiliary engine was located. Lee took a longer time at this porthole. Biff watched him intently through the growing darkness. A slight movement on the boat caused him to raise his eyes. He gasped. Directly over Lee stood a man with a small nail keg raised over his head. He was ready to smash it down on Lee's head. Lee, look out, duck! The Hawaiian boy submerged just as the keg struck the water at the exact spot where his head had been. Jeepers, Biff thought. I hope Lee got far enough under. The keg hurler was running along the deck towards the boat's bow. Here he could leap on the dock and make his getaway. Biff went into action. He jumped from behind the crates, reached the boat in six fast strides, and leapt aboard just as the prowler reached the bow. Biff grabbed at the man. His arms encircled him, and Biff in turn felt the man's arms squeeze him in a bear-like hug. Biff exerted every ounce of his strength, trying to force the man over backward, trying to free himself of the man's crushing grip. He heard a faint noise directly behind the man. Looking over his shoulder, Biff saw the dripping figure of Lee scramble aboard. Lee didn't hesitate. He threw himself at the man, striking him just at the knees from the rear. Clipping flashed through Biff's mind. Unfair in football, but in a fight like this, there'd be no fifteen-yard penalty. The impact of Lee's body forced the man to release his grip. As he did, Biff stepped backwards. His feet became entangled in a coil of rope. He lost his balance, toppling backward. 
His feet hit the raised gunwale, and the next moment he was flying through the air. He felt himself falling, a sickening feeling, as if he were falling from a great height. He wasn't, though. He was falling from the bow, six feet to the water. But he was falling backward and had no time sense of the distance. He hit the water with a splash. His broad back smacked the water with the noise of a loud hand clap. Biff could feel his back sting from the impact. He turned over and looked up. There was the bow of the boat directly overhead. There was Lee looking down at him. You all right, Biff? There was a strange sound in Lee's voice. For a moment, Biff was angered. The strange sound was Lee trying to hold back his laughter. Biff's sense of humor came to his rescue. He must have been a funny sight, thrashing around in the water on his back like a beach porpoise. Yep, I'm all right, he called. I'll swim to midships. You can give me a hand up. Once back aboard, Biff's first concern was about the prowler. Oh, him, Lee said. When you made your backward belly whopper, that guy took off. He raced down the dock. He's long gone by now. Biff rubbed the small of his back with his left hand. That hurt. And here you were laughing at me. You were funny, Biff, Lee laughed. And that sting won't last long. Guess you're right. Hey, let's see if we can find out what our visitor was doing on board. The boys explored the deck of the boat. They opened the sail chest and inspected the sails. They hadn't been touched. They carefully examined the yawl's rigging. Both knew that an important rope could be cut just far enough through so that it would hold in a mild wind, then snap in a heavy one, just when it was most badly needed. No evidence of any tampering with the rigging. Let's go below. That's where the prowler was when we got here. He must have been doing his dirty work down there, Biff said. A careful search of the cabins, each with two berths, revealed nothing. Hey, look at this, Lee called. He was in the engine compartment, a small space between the forward cabin and the galley. Doesn't it look to you as if this has been moved recently? Lee pointed to the wooden cover which housed the engine. It was sitting slightly askew. We'll take a look underneath. Biff took one side of the housing, Lee the other. Careful now, heave gently. They removed the housing. Must be a flashlight round here somewhere. Have to have one if we're going to find anything. Lee found one in the tool chest. Biff took it and directed its beam of light on the top of the engine. Nice little engine, a four-cylinder Indian marine. Ought to shove us along around eight or ten knots. He placed the light's beam over the engine, inch by inch. Suddenly he brought the light's rays to a fixed spot. Biff bent low. Never saw anything like this on one of these engines. Take a look, Lee. Lee bent down beside Biff. The boys were looking at a crudely made object resembling a small tin can. It was roughly attached just below the engine's carburetor. Let's get out of here, Biff said, swallowing. His throat had become dry and tight. That thing's a bomb, a homemade bomb. Lee was already heading back to the cockpit. Hello there, ship ahoy, came a cry from the dock. Biff and Lee burst on deck just as his father and Mr. Mayonelli started to step on board. Stay back, Dad, stay back, there's a bomb on the boat, Biff yelled. Breathlessly, the boys told their fathers of spotting the prowler on board of the brief tussle and the results of their investigation. It's a good thing we came down, Tom Brewster said. You were late. We thought you might have run up against something. We sure did, Dad, Biff assured him. 
I'll have to investigate. Can you tell me exactly where this thing you think is a bomb is located? You're not going on board, are you, Dad? Biff asked, his voice filled with anxiety. I think it will be all right. I have an idea that bomb isn't intended to go off while the boat's still in harbour. But, Dad, it might, Biff protested. Biff, I've handled dynamite and other types of explosives in my work. I was also in the bomb demolition service in the army. I can handle it. You stay back, though, all of you, until I give you the all clear. Now, just where is this thing you found? Directly under the carburetor, Biff replied. Here, you'll need this. He handed his father the flashlight. They watched Mr. Brewster's head disappear as he moved down the steps from the cockpit to the first cabin. I think we'd better follow your father's orders, boys, Hank Mahinelli said. We'll put a little distance between us and the boat, just in case. The three moved an anchor's rope's length from the stern of the boat. The minutes went by. The waiting became almost unbearable. Biff couldn't control the feeling of fear gnawing at the pit of his stomach. At any moment he expected to hear the dull thud of an explosion. He expected to see the boat burst open, sending wood and debris flying through the air. Minutes ticked on. Each one seemed an hour to Biff. At last he saw his father emerge from the cockpit. I've got it. It's all right. Biff ran to where his father stood. It may have been all right, but Biff could tell by the beads of perspiration standing out on his father's forehead and by his soaked shirt that it had been a ticklish job. It's a bomb, all right. Perez Soto is playing for keeps, Mr. Brewster said grimly. He wiped his forehead. It's a simple thing, really. Anyone with Perez Soto's experience, or mine, for that matter, could make it. But when was it set to go off? Biff asked. That would depend on when and how long we use the auxiliary engine. See this timer? The three leaned forward for a closer look, peering warily at the infernal machine Biff's father held in his hand. This timer, which is hooked up to the detonator, is fixed so it starts in motion when the engine is started. It cuts out when the engine is out. Very clever, actually, even though it is simple. When would the timer fire the charge? Biff asked. I judge after about an hour, perhaps two, no more, after the engine had been running. We'd be out in the middle of the ocean by then. Biff looked at Lee and Mr. Manelli. Both shook their heads. Worse than that, Biff, if I've got it figured right. How, Dad? Well, Perez Soto would know that we'd use the engine to get us out of the harbour. Maybe a twenty-minute run. Then we'd go to sail, and we'd use sail every minute we could. But then, this is the really devilish clever part of his plan, Mr. Brewster paused. He turned to Lee's father. Didn't you tell me that there are some dangerous reefs off Kaylay? You bet there are, Mr. Maynelli said. And the water's shark-infested, too. Well, to search the coast along there for Huntington's sunken sloop, we'd have to use the engine. Couldn't take a chance with sail on those ragged coral reefs. I'm beginning to catch on, Dad, Biff said soberly. I expected you would. We'd have to use the engine, as you said, and right in the midst of those reefs and those sharks, bang, the boat would have blown up. And that would have been the end of us, Thomas Brewster said quietly. He tossed the deactivated bomb overboard. Rest in pieces, Biff said fervently. End of chapter 12